a slyly sardonic voice. I love how Austin slips sardonic humor into seemingly staid and proper sentences in ways that might escape your notice if you aren't paying close attention. I'll share a few of my favorite examples. Sometimes the narrator dryly comments on a person's character in what seems on the surface like the mere factual relating of events. For example, quote, Elizabeth passed the chief of the night in her sister's room, and in the morning had the pleasure of being able to send a tolerable answer to the inquiries which she very early received from Mr. Bingley by a housemaid, and some time afterwards from the two elegant ladies who waited on his sisters, unquote. All the sisters' phoniness of sentiment and formality of manners is suggested in that brief phrase, some time afterwards. Bingley's inquiries come early because they arise from genuine concern. Those of his sisters proceed from a more reluctant observance of duty. There was also this remark on the rapidity with which Mrs. Bennet accepted Lizzie's invitation to Netherfield. Quote, she requested to have a note sent to Longbourn, desiring her mother to visit Jane and form her own judgment of her situation. The note was immediately dispatched, and its contents as quickly complied with. Mrs. Bennet, accompanied by her two youngest girls, reached Netherfield soon after the family breakfast. Unquote. Since she deliberately sent Jane through the rain on horseback, and then dismissed any concerns about her trifling cold, we know that it is not anxiety over her daughter's health that prompts her unseemly eagerness to accept the invitation. And Lydia and Jane's decision to accompany her clearly has less to do with sisterly affection than it does with a chance to remind Bingley of his promise to host a ball. This description of Bingley's sisters at first seems so benign, but packed a hidden punch. Quote, Their powers of conversation were considerable. They could describe an entertainment with accuracy, relate an anecdote with humor, and laugh at their acquaintance with spirit. Unquote. The last of those things is not quite like the others, and the narrator's dry delivery of it caught me off guard and made me laugh out loud. Then there was this mocking comment on the budding jealousy of Miss Bingley, pronounced with such a tone of propriety and innocence. Quote, Miss Bingley saw or suspected, enough to be jealous, and her great anxiety for the recovery of her dear friend Jane received some assistance from her desire of getting rid of Elizabeth, unquote. It was such a polite way of saying she only cared for Jane to get better so that Elizabeth would get out of there. I loved this sardonic remark on the mindlessness of Mrs. Hurst. Quote, Darcy took up a book, Miss Bingley did the same, and Mrs. Hurst, principally occupied in playing with her bracelets and rings, joined now and then in her brother's conversation with Miss Bennet. Unquote. I think the humor here is in the oxymoronic nature of the phrase. Can one really be described as principally occupied in playing with her bracelets and rings? The implication is that Mrs. Hurst does not have the depth to be principally occupied with anything at all. Some of the most entertaining jibes of all are reserved for the delightfully detestable Miss Bingley. The description of her exhausting efforts to find amusement in a book, in a broader campaign to impress Mr. Darcy, is hysterical. Quote, At length, she gave a great yawn and said, How pleasant it is to spend an evening in this way! 
I declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book! When I have a house of my own, I shall be miserable if I have not an excellent library. No one made any reply. She then yawned again, threw aside her book, and cast her eyes around the room in quest for some amusement. Unquote. Finding her passionate declaration ignored, and so following it up by yawning, tossing aside the book, and seeking out real amusement is just such a funny scene. I've heard it said that one of the fascinating things about the narrative commentary in this novel is that it sounds so much like Elizabeth that we come to feel as if it actually comes from her. To what extent the narrator shares Elizabeth's purview will be something interesting to watch. We have already observed one major discrepancy. The narrator knows that Darcy is in danger, and Elizabeth definitely does not.